Good evening, welcome to 361 Live. This is our second event coming to you from LBI's headquarters here on Brick Lane. This evening, we're joined by a panel to discuss the topic, desktop is dead, the future is mobile internet. this evening, Tony Blake, director at Milanoki, who just launched a data control and compression app for smartphones called Data Squasher. Andrew Grill, CEO of CRED, a leading social influence measurement platform, as a, he's also a prolific early tech adopter and he blogs at London Calling. Iliko Elia, he's head of mobile here at digital agency LBI, who are our hosts this evening as part of this internet week. Rafe Blanford, member of the 361 team and editor of the All About Sites and Ben Lethbridge from the UK's first 4G network, which launched a month ago, EE. Ben specialises in analysing data about EE's customers' browsing, demographic and phone use. Please welcome them all to the panel. The first questioner, Luke Samer, to give his question, please. Surely until you can guarantee a secure, consistent connection, there will always be a place for desktop internet. Surely, until you can guarantee a secure, consistent connection, there'll always be a place for desktop internet. Andrew Grill. Well, you know what? I'm not always at a desktop connection. I'm a very mobile person because I like being out and about, not just in this country, but also globally. So until you can guarantee me that I would never have to leave my desk, I think mobile internet will be around. Um, but you know what? If 15 years ago someone said to you, you have to carry one of these with you all the time, you would have said you're crazy. The reason we do carry them with us is it's actually useful. And 15 years ago, you were actually going to the top of a hill to say, oh, hang on, I can't quite hear you, and now it's much better. So, you know what? I'm a radio engineer by trade. Radio is not perfect because it's invisible waves. So I think we're kidding ourselves if we say we've got to have perfect, always-on internet. It's got to be you know, 100 megabits per second. The convenience factor of not having to be tied to a desk it means I can literally, as I was uh, this week, in the back of a taxi, going to a client, on 4G, supplied by E, having desktop-like experience in a black cab in London on the way to a client. That, for me, I'm happy with that. Ben Lethbridge from EE. Uh, actually, can I ask you to, to speak about the MiFi, which is actually very interesting, because it kind of negates, the, you know, if you, you carry your connection with you the whole time. And, and what you were saying was very interesting. So, so yeah, what I do, I have a MiFi. Um, it's on 4G at the moment. And I either carry it in my laptop bag or in my pocket. Um, so I'm a walking hotspot. But it means that when I'm walking around, I can have, and I do have, my laptop, my iPad, two Android phones and a BlackBerry, all connected via MiFi. When I travel, I no longer pay hotel Wi-Fi charges. I basically take a local SIM. So for me, I'm carrying around the broadband network with me. Ben, just so Andrew's talked about how he, he now has the technology to bring a hotspot with him. He could use his to use a Wi-Fi with a, a mobile device as much as a laptop. Mm. Could have a desktop-like experience. Let's address the other half of that question then. Let's talk about consistency because even the best mobile network in the UK will have variations in coverage, signal, speed, even the number of people using it. Yeah. Um I mean, that is uh, obviously a challenge, and, and the 4G network we've just launched is um, live in 16 cities, so we're going to um, increase that and boost that over the next couple of years. Um, but if you uh, have as many access points into that as possible, obviously that's, that's a winning combination. Um, but I think there's a really interesting idea that you, you, now you carry that connectivity with you, so the desktop as such is, is negated if you're able to say with your MiFi, for instance. Okay, so we've got two votes for we've got two votes for the mobile experience. Two votes that say yes, it's good enough. Uh, Ilico, um, I was on the phone today with Ewan um, from 
the airport coming back to my office, and you basically said, are you free to talk? And I was like, yeah, I'm on a train. And then it went dead. Hmm. Um, then I phoned back, and I could you yeah. And then it went dead. And so until we get that right, um, well, that's one of the things that is just the most frustrating thing in the world. Well, what train were you on? Where were you? Who cares? No, I mean, it, it, matter, it, it matters, because if you're on the underground, the underground is 100x years old. Doesn't matter. It gets closed down for five hours a night. We will not see mobile okay. internet or Wi-Fi in the tunnels anytime soon. So train, not, that's train in, not tube. I where, was on the train, not the tube. Where were you? I was coming back from Gatwick to London Bridge. Which train operator? Uh, who is it? First <laughs> capital. Okay, so those guys, their windows are actually Faraday cages. So until the train operators put stuff on the ceiling, it's not going to work properly. That's not my problem. Actually, it's the train operator's problem. It's not my it's, problem either, it's not by my way. Problem. It's the industry. It's the industry's yeah. problem. Okay. The fact that we can't get a consistent... I think that's the problem, is you can't get a consistent coverage. So I'm, I'm interested because you're talking there about you were on the move. And, and by definition, when you're on a train, you're not trying to do the kind of tasks you do at a desktop. There's no reason why I couldn't. I have a laptop with me. I have a, I have a tablet with me, a phone. So, so your, expe <coughs> your, your expectation is that you could get your laptop out, you should be able to work, but actually right now you don't think the mobile internet is up to scratch? I think it's around 70% up to scratch. 70%. Can you cite any sources for that figure? Uh, I can do 70% of my work in that time. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tony from Milanoki. Yeah, I, I've got to agree. I, I just don't think the, uh, the mobile networks, whether it be 2G, 3G, or even, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, even 4G at the moment, I don't think we've got the consistency of connection. So uh, until that's actually addressed, there is always going to be a place for desktop. And it actually really, sorry, actually really worries me that, um, that we're going from, that we're not trying to get that consistency and we're using the 2G network as the 4G infrastructure. And so that's to get, get more, that consistency and that coverage is going to get worse, I, th I think, yeah. before it gets any better. Yeah. So let's go back to the questioner, Luke. Um, when, when, you were ask, when you were asking that, did you ever imagine that uh, mobile internet could give a desktop-like experience in the future? I'm, I don't think I'm ever expecting to have to... Well, actually, that, I'm going to rephrase that. If I wanted to do work or using Excel on a big screen, then I'm not, that's not the expectation from my, from my mobile. But equally, there's... Um, you know, you, can, you should be able to... In the future, we're going to have the web-enabled web software, in, as we're getting now anyway, to be able to, to do that sort of thing on the move. So if we're going to kill desktop internet, we need to be able to, to carry on in that, that existence. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's, do a show, let's do a show of hands around the room. Who here routinely works on mobile internet? For the recording, most people put their hand up. Yeah, so, so that is most. Who is happy with that experience? Who thinks it works perfectly well? Who is for, the, for, the, for the record, that, it's just only Andrew Grill with one hand up. Right? I think you've got to ask oh, where, where people are actually based. I mean, um, I'm not based in the city of London. Uh, I'm actually based uh, outside Norwich. And uh, the, the chances of actually having an adequate connection uh, there are uh, almost non-existent. If I'm lucky, I get 3G, but most of the time it's actually 2G. Uh, I'm in that situation too, and I, I would also be careful about distinguishing... Uh, when we talk about mobile internet, there's an automatic association with the operator, but a lot of the time people are offloading to Wi-Fi. Yeah. One of the places people use their mobile phones the most is actually at home, in bed, uh, when watching TV and other places in the home, which I'm not going to mention. 
Go on, uh, say it, go on. But that's mobile internet usage, so it's not just about that. But, I mean, I do agree with the rest of the panel that there's a lot of development still to go on in networks, but it, it mirrors kind of, you know, wide internet and broadband. It's not that long ago where everyone was on dial-up. Yeah. So, so my, I, I, um, I always thought my dad was ignoring me when I phoned him. He just had a, a, a SIM that didn't really work in two-thirds of his house. Yeah. And we've now put him on a different carrier, and it's much better. But that shouldn't even be a, a, a thing these days. So, so now when he doesn't answer, it's because yeah, he's choosing he, not to answer. I know, he's not, I know he's ignoring me now, yeah. Okay, let's, let's throw it open to the audience. Have we got any questions? Hushed silence. Ewan McLeod. Well, uh, my, my, I happen to side with Illico here in that I, my perception is that the basic services, the basic mobile services, have got uh, poorer over the past couple of years. To give you an example, I used to travel weekly to Paris. Um, I did that five years ago, perfectly fine using Vodafone uh, to speak to someone from London to Dover. Right, I could speak. You were the occasional cutouts, but the connection would, the voice connection would continue. Recently, um, I, it doesn't work at all. Um, someone was telling me that's because the networks have been reforming the the spectrum. Uh, used for voice, or, or actually just repurposing it actually for uh, data instead of voice. So it, I'm concerned that it's actually the basic stuff is getting worse, I feel. And if we can't talk to each other on a train, uh, what's the point in being able to do 4G internet? So all for those people who put their... Sorry, we have a question at the back. From our, from our real-time lady. Would you, would you like to introduce yourself and explain what the real-time lady... Is it real-time lady or real-time real -time woman? woman. Real-time woman, apologies. <laughs> I'm trying to be too polite. Uh, can, you, can you explain what real-time woman is? Yes, uh, real-time woman is a character that was invented by Weapon 7. They're a digital advertising agency um, based in Holborn. And basically they came up with this in... Um, kind of in collaboration with Internet Week Europe um, to have one person attend all of the events of Internet Week Europe this week. So there's more than like 120 events. So it's quite a challenge. So I have to make my question very brief. <laughs> um, no, I'd just like to say um, there's a couple of things. I went to a couple of events um, this week about, you know, the role of mobile and how mobile is changing the way we live, changing, you know, children's lives and whatsoever. But the thing is, um, I think there's something that's missing in mobile, whether it be, you know, shopping, um, e-commerce, like, sh so shopping apps um, on the mobile phone, or even, like, writing emails, because there's something really comforting about getting home and doing everything that you can't really do on a small screen iPhone um, on a desktop. So I wouldn't say... Um, it's dying or it's it's taking over. I would just say that now we have more possibilities of doing things wherever we want. Okay, what, so what are your thoughts? So uh, Ilico, the the challenge is actually there there is a time and a place for doing each of these tasks, and sometimes and people will always want to go home and do some things, perhaps on a on a big screen and presumably fixed internet connection in their homes or in their places of work. Yeah, there's, there's definitely things you can do on a desktop machine that look better on a desktop machine than they do on a small screen phone. Um, it's just actually that I think they're different. Um, you do different things. You are... Um, the ability to actually keep in contact is something that you don't do when you're just at home. I don't think Twitter would have taken off as much as it did if it wasn't very, very mobile-oriented. Mm -hmm. If I had to wait until I got home or to my desk to talk to the people that I was 
wanted to talk to on Twitter, it would have just it would have been so stilted a conversation that it wouldn't have been wouldn't been worth it. Can I just clarify something? When we say desktop internet, let's just look at semantics. I haven't had a desktop fixed computer in about 10 years. I've had laptops for the last 10 years. Our household only has laptops. So who here has a desktop that's got a big 15 screen and a big tower? Okay. Everyone else has so, laptops. For, for the record, that's about 50%, okay. I'd say. So when we say um, hard to do things on an iPhone versus a desktop or laptop, you go to any Starbucks in London. Now, back in 2006, my land in this country from Australia, I was the only person in a Starbucks on a laptop. Actually, I met a guy one day who was still in contact with I was the second person I ever met. I was in Starbucks, Kensington High Street, about two weeks ago. I took a photograph, and I've, I've given this at presentations. Of the 14 people in the photograph, 11 were on a mobile device or a laptop. That's a problem for Starbucks, because they're sitting there and not buying coffee. But my point is, um, they are in a mobile environment because they're out of home and they're on essentially a desktop laptop computer. So I don't agree that you have to wait till you get home because if you go to any Starbucks in London, any time of the day or night, you've got people replicating a home desktop experience on Starbucks property. So we need to be careful when we say the desktop is dead because you've got people essentially planting their homework into a Starbucks. So it's getting our, our definitions right is in terms of are we talking about the device or are we talking about the connection? The location. Is it at home or, or out of home almost? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so just, just for, for interest then, of those, of those who said that they regularly use um, you know, wireless data to do stuff, who is using it, uh, who's using it just to do regular browsing activities on a laptop, the same kind of stuff you do uh, on, a, on a desktop computer? Okay, maybe that's a poorly asked question, but I'd say about half. Who, when they work, say they're working on uh, on wireless data, is using just is using a smartphone and is doing stuff that is only smartphone centric. Okay, how do you define that? A few. <laughs> that's a difficult bit. Okay, right. I, mean, I, I think the honest truth here, when we're talking about definitions, mobile internet, most people tend to think of. Uh, mobile devices, and I would personally classify laptop as desktop internet. Yeah. Um, but the, the reality is, of course, it's a, a continuum. You know, you can go from the very basic feature phone that has a browser on it up to a smartphone that's a very capable browser, and then you move into tablets, then laptops, and then desktop. But we can't forget about TVs or, yeah. you know, with console, and there's more and more devices that are becoming internet enabled. So I think it, for me at least, it becomes about the size of the screen. Ooh. Just too controversial, though. <laughs> I just think it's like we're... we're um, I didn't know you were being controversial, did you? Okay, it's gonna, a, 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 final, a final point from Ben, and we're going to move I, on. I, I think that we're doing the same things uh, on different devices in different ways. Um, and I was speaking to a big retailer. They know they have an enormous amount of people accessing their, their store on their mobile. They don't have any idea who they are or how they're using it. And if they could understand that, I think that would be very, very useful for them. Uh, and, yeah, the TV comment again. I mean, this is right from smartphones. Uh, you know, I play on your smartphone. Right, so I play on your Samsung connected TV. It, it, this, this desktop uh, mobile thing, I think, is, is, is too callous. There's so much more in between. Do you have to stand up? Do you have to stand up? Oh, yes. Stand up. Oh, uh, I wouldn't really uh, term the difference between mobile and desktop as the device. I'd say it's the connection. So, like, I was at home last night, just in bed with my iPhone, and I was on, like, a wireless connection, and it was as solid as a desktop, I mean, or even a laptop. So I wouldn't term it as a... Oh, it's this device or that device. I say it's the connection that changes whether you're on mobile or desktop. I think that's a better way to frame it because it's an easier way than saying, oh, laptops or whatever, isn't it? So when you said um, 
you describe that as like a desktop environment or the laptops, I would say that was actually a desktop environment because the connection is so solid that you might as well be sitting at home. I think that's a really interesting point and we've got a question actually in that vein coming up. So we'll, we'll revisit that point. So our next question from Julian Cooling. I'm thinking about mobile in really big organisations, the sort of organisations that have private data that you just don't want splashed on the internet. There are millions of these things out there. Um, so how do you keep the mobile experience really, really shiny um, in an enterprise environment without actually locking it down? Either reproducing the BlackBerry experience of a lot of large organisations when you can't put apps, you can't have your email work the way you want, and essentially it just becomes a shell of a mobile device. The obvious tricks are to do things like VPNs through the Chicago office, which then runs through the 10,000 desktop filters before it goes back out. But that leads to a really poor experience if you're in Singapore, South Africa or wherever. Now, um, that, I think that question to me makes perfect sense. Maybe that's where I am. Where I came derailed is on the previous question. I think there are three sorts of mobiles we're discussing. One is mobile voice, which is real. The other one is desktop replacement, so using your laptop mobile, but you're still doing desktop work, you're doing Excel, you're doing email. And then the third thing is the tablet experience, which is written mobile apps to be mobile, which do specific business functions. Okay, so, and I, I presume by shiny, you mean performant, fast, easy to Apple. use? If you've got a Surface computer, you want it to stay Surface. You don't want to be <coughs> branded by your company. If you've got Apple, anyone who gets their nice iPad from their corporate provider, they wanted an iPad. They didn't want something grey and boxy. Okay, uh, Tony, how do we secure how do we secure mobile internet data for businesses to the standards they need without it ruining the mobile experience? Mm -hmm. I suppose the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Refreshing honesty from a panel member. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's always going to be a struggle. Uh, and I think enterprise is always going to um, drag behind the, uh, the, the kind of consumer experience that is uh, innovating the market at the moment. Uh, and I, I think there's this constant tussle on, you know, we're, we're, I think we're all aware of the bring your own device trend. Uh, and I'm not sure the, uh, the average IT manager has actually managed to, to get a grip of that. So I, I think the question's an extremely pertinent one, but I'm not sure the, uh, the industry's um, quite grasped exactly how that's going to happen. Rafe Blanford. Well, I think you have to look at this in a historical context. It's about device management. It's always been lock down the device as much as you can. And I think it's changing towards a model of uh, locking down individual applications and if you like, putting the data within those applications into a sandbox or some kind of policy management so you can't forward the data, copy it in some way into other applications. And we're just starting to see that come into the kind of mobile platforms. Some have been doing this for a while in terms of particularly with email. And I think that's probably the way you're going to have to solve it because there will be this acknowledgement that the mobile device is something quite personal. And so the expectation of you know, locking it down so you can't do anything personal with it just isn't realistic. Um, and obviously the other compromise is carrying two devices. I don't think most people want to do that. So my answer to that is um, you, know, you have a, you know, a part of the device or you know, bit the data level or at the app level that you lock down um, rather than locking down the entire device. 
Ben, I, I want the operator kind of perspective, but let me just let me just throw a, th a thought to you. In my in my day job, we build software for all kinds of people, including the U.S. Department of Defense. They are the kind of organization you presume that have huge security requirements. But the move to mobile for them has prompted them to look at what they do and actually realize that quite a lot of what they do isn't super sensitive at all. It's the lunch menu, it's the internal phone directory, it's all those things that every other company has as well. And only part of their business is super secret. And that now their move to mobile is forcing them to, to change the way they think about security. From, from look, looking, from sort of analysing customer data as you do within EE, do you see that, that people are changing the way that they think about security as they pick up inter um, mobile internet? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, a company I'm doing quite a lot of work with at the moment is a large data company, and I know they've had an enormous headache, um, and they only allow something like 10 people to have iPhones, um, who, who these senior directors who really want them. And because they've got to be so bulletproof with this security. But in order, that, as, as you were saying there, it turns the iPhone into a bit of a pain point uh, when actually the reason you, you might want one is exactly the opposite. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's been particularly cracked by anyone. And again, I'm not professing to know too much about uh, enterprise security. But so, yeah, that's what, that's what I think. Enrique? Um, I had a conversation with uh, nameless, or is it faceless, people at uh, RIM. Uh, who basically said they both love and hated Apple at the same time. Probably hated a bit more than they loved them, I think. I think, I think if we look at share prices, it's mostly hate, mostly isn't it? Hate. Yeah. Um, but they basically said it's great because they, they really enabled them to dumb down the security that's needed, and therefore they don't need to... People are okay with good enough, or some people are okay with good enough, uh, and which means that the security that they need to implement doesn't need to be as rock-solid as, as they first thought it might be, and that was their um, core reason for, for being in the enterprise market. I, I completely agree with Rafe in terms of um, it's going to go into the applications themselves, I think, and you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot more very locked down applications that do your work work that needs to be locked down, and then a lot less um, security around other, other applications. Can we just, just before, Andrew, I will come to you in a second, but just before we go, can we just go out to the audience? Is, is there anyone here who's got a smartphone provided by their employer or their company? Okay, and, and of, of, of those guys who have, are there any security restrictions on it at all about um, installing apps or how you can use it? If you've got security restrictions, put your hand up. Okay, so um, the chap in the, the white and the blue striped shirt, could you, without giving away any secrets, could you just tell us what kind of restrictions are in place? I'm not too sure, to be honest, um, but I think um, some of the downloading of apps is not allowed, so it's not free downloading of apps. Um, and also some of the kind of, I think, the, some of the functionality is locked down as well. So it's not too tight, but it's uh, relatively... Good. And what platform are you using? Uh, it's BlackBerry. So okay. it's a, and the company can wipe it off. Yeah, they have the remote management systems as well, but um, yeah, it's, it's kind of low-key. See, that actually I don't mind. The whole re remote wiping, because LBI have... have uh, access to my phone. I don't mind because actually you can't get that easily in a consumer device. Come on, you can get that on Apple. Every Apple's got that. That's, that's just Find my iPhone, right? Yeah, and Windows and Android as well. Yeah. But not many people use it or have it set up or do it themselves. But not many people back up their data and they lose it and they, they cry yeah. like so, blue wolf. So, so, I don't, so I don't mind my company taking care of that for me is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Mm. Um, as opposed to me as a consumer <coughs> having to do it. I do it anyway, but... Um, so I don't mind those sort of aspects. There are some aspects of it I don't mind. Okay, Andrew, you 
travel widely for work. You, you mentioned, you, so you are mobile most of the time. Um, increasingly, people are using uh, bring your own device. This idea that you bring personal devices into the enterprise as uh, you know, as a way to work around the fact that you might get the, the kind of the restrictions that, that the guy in the audience was talking about. Um, what, what's your take? Is that a, is that a, a meaningful way to enable people to use mobile technology, or is that just a hack that means that the security that in the enterprise hasn't caught up? Well, enterprises I talk to and CTOs, CIs I talk to are, are getting a bit scared because bring your own device is becoming almost the norm. And in some places it's, well, I'm going to come and work for you because your policy is, one, you have unfiltered internet, I can actually browse sites, and two, you let me bring my own device. What's becoming worse is it's bring your own app, that I'll have specific apps on my phone that I like. Um, I think there's actually a learning opportunity here. So a CIO goes, why is Ben using that particular app? You know what? It's actually better than one we've got. How do we lock it down is another question. Just back to the security implications, though. I do a lot of mobile working, so more often than not, as people who follow me on Foursquare knows, I'm in, I'm in Starbucks. Starbucks has open internet, which is a huge security risk. So my mental state of mind is if I'm in a Starbucks, I automatically put on my VPN. If I switch over to my MiFi, because I know it's going direct via GSM encrypted data to the operator, I don't put on the, on the uh, VPN. So I, if I'm using mobile internet, I actually inherently think it's safer, and it probably is, than an open internet. So, uh, and I don't do the same at home because, again, I'm assuming someone's not going to hack my, my Wi-Fi encrypted um, box. But I think a lot of people, when they drop down in the Starbucks, don't realise that someone on the next table could be sniffing mm. the Wi-Fi. So I religiously put my VPN on, but my state of mind is when I'm on the mobile internet, I don't feel I have to. I feel safer on the mobile internet. Is, is that just perception of safer? I don't know if it actually is safer. Well, technically, it's going through GSM encrypted, which very few people have managed to crack. So between my MiFi and the EE network, it's totally encrypted. What happens after that may be a risk, but... Um, you know, I have studied this stuff before and have four degrees, so maybe I know a little bit about it, but apparently... I, um, I didn't explain there was a no-boasting rule on the panel. It wasn't supposed that's, that's fine. It's, it's on my how, how many degrees is that, did you have? Four. Four degrees? Four, only four. Yeah, not 361, just four. Oh, you beat me, you beat me to my own joke, Giggs. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's throw, it open, let's throw it open to the audience. Um, anyone, anyone here who's using uh, mobile internet to do work, to do business, over? You put your hand up. Okay, who here is comfortable, it's secure enough to do with nothing else except, as, as Andrew said, just, just the, the security that your mobile company provides? Okay, uh, there's a guy there shaking his head, is he saying you're not happy? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I think it's safe, it's fine. No, I think it's safe, it's, it's fine. Okay, and what, what, about the hot, what about the hotspot example? Is there anyone here who's happy to use a free internet hotspot uh, without any encryption or VPN? Okay. With, with a caveat, I mean, I... It really depends upon how sensitive you believe the information you're working with is or what information you have on the device. If your device is a phone which you've got nothing other than some, a few messages which aren't very important, then you know, I'd be very happy to work on one of my, I'm a student at UCL, so like uh, working on one of my essays or, research, or an article or something. I mean, I'd, I'd be very happy for someone to have that information. <laughs> the same, I, mean, I can improve it. Yeah. Send it back to you. <laughs> well, send me some feedback, yeah. Can I, can I ask you a, a, a question there about that? Um, are you happy to have your email running in the background? I have to say, have to say no, no to that one. You'd have to definitely caught me there. Yes, yeah, so I'd, I'd be aware of if I had email capacity on the on the device, which I wouldn't necessarily have on it. I mean, I couldn't, I could, might not have email, email enabled, but I probably wouldn't switch it off. So that's a good call. Your, your iPhone is constantly checking mm -hmm. the background generally. That, if you're on a hotspot, mm -hmm. 
and someone sniffed it. Uh, we've got a question at the front. I, well, no, I'd, I'd, I'd actually disagree that if you, m most uh, email clients now run IMAP or something over SSL, so as, while you're running it over SSL, it's, it's, you have to crack SSL, which is pretty secure. Okay. Awesome comeback. And, that, and that, is back, that is back to the point that Rafe made about security moves into the applications and you start to trust applications rather than network providers. I mean, I use a, a Mac and I use SSH into everything and I use IMAP over SSL. So. Yeah. And, and I, I think in all of this, there is the assumption that there's someone out there sniffing the Wi-Fi, which sometimes... Sometimes, I've seen some shady characters in those Starbucks, I've got to tell you. So, I mean, I mean I've got, on, my, on my iPad, I've got a nice program called Fring, which will snoop the subnet. So he's doing it. That's, I've got to watch and, out for and, the Starbucks and, well, now. I can do it now, and it will tell you what devices people are using, what open ports they're running, and, and what. Yeah, so, so there are people out there doing that. But I think there's actually <laughs> yeah. far more people looking over your shoulder at your screen in, the, in a coffee shop or on the plane or wherever you happen to be. So I think that kind of... You know, the 34.95, a three-in privacy screen, best money you can buy. People next to the aircraft go, why are you looking at a blank screen? So you can't see it. <laughs> okay, let's privacy move on. Screen. Uh, Steve, since you've got the microphone, let's stick with you. Uh, you've got a question. I have. I mean, I actually agree with EE's pricing, which people think is vastly extortionate. And, uh, you can't say is... that. You can't say that. <laughs> I, I, I think it, they've actually sensibly priced... Um, no! For the real cost. Hang on, let's just, let, let's just calm the panellists down. Steve, could, um, I, could I move you to a question? And, and in, in terms of that pricing, and mobile networks should move to that kind of pricing, desktop will always be cheaper. And therefore, um, desktop will always have more um, bandwidth and, more, and, and cheaper pricing. Okay, just before, we, just before the panel take that, Steve, why do you think that mobile internet... Uh, will always be more expensive than fixed internet? Because um, the infrastructure costs. I mean, I've actually got some... Um, I, I, I came prepared. <laughs> I, I really <laughs> I want to hear these, I, I these numbers, some, actually. Um, interesting stats here of, of how much generic bandwidth costs. Um, so if you're a, on an internet exchange, it's approximately 0.25p... Sorry, 0.25 dollars per megabit per second per month... Um, if you're going into a transatlantic traffic wholesale, it's about a dollar a megabit per second, and that's just lots of caveats on that, but that's what it actually physically costs. Um, if you go to, say, National Ethernet Service, which is where you're getting point-to-point -point connections, uh, it's about $180 per megabit per second. Um, so for every base station that everything, every OF or E have to wire up, they have to connect that back to their central networks and there are obviously that kind of costs involved in fact we can go all the way up if you actually go through three mo three 3g mobile data is about eleven thousand dollars per megabyte gsm four hundred eighty three thousand dollars and it goes up all the way to sex sms text messaging roaming is about a million dollars um a megabit per second a megabit per second okay uh illico you were jumping up and down <laughs> and you know what chickens shouldn't be as cheap as they are in tesco's either <laughs> But that's what the market will pay, and that's what happens. It really, really frustrated me when EEs... And I, I can be honest, I'm not, not going to even ask you to respond at even the slightest. <laughs> but um, it just really disappointed me that we didn't have a stab in the dark, let's see what we could do here, make, make the industry better, as opposed to 41 quid for... But let's, let's, be, let's be clear here. What you, I want to know let's what you clear. do on your MiFi with be clear. 500 meg. 
I don't have a 500 meg plan. I pay 20.99 Vaxit included for three gigabytes. So Vodafone, who I also have, that's on Vodafone, on their red plan for 41 pounds gives you about the same. So I'm, I'm actually in the camp where I don't believe there is a massive uptick in the e-pricing. It is a few pounds more, but one, Frankly, they don't have to charge the same price because they're on their own. Secondly, there is the early adopter tax, which I'm paying and I'm happy to pay because I've got faster internet than you. <laughs> okay, that, that, that's your second yellow card for boasting, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, Steve's argument seems to be based about the fact that you have to join all the bits of a mobile network together. When you join the bits of a mobile network together, you're using fixed wires in the ground, so the, the wireless bit is always going to make it more expensive. Um, is, that, is, that, is that really going to be the case forever and ever? Tony? Well, just, just in terms of the supply and demand, yeah, I, I guess I haven't got too much problem with EE's pricing because basically they are first. It, it's a su supply and demand thing. In terms of some of the cost, um, yeah, cost figures that you were giving, then certainly that's the case uh, you're comparing um, uh, an infrastructure that's been in place for a little while with one that's actually evolving and to my mind that's inevitably going to be uh, a little bit more uh, expensive and amortized over perhaps fewer people i think if you if we transpose but that's um, the point i mean the e network has got a limited number of customers and therefore they have to do realistic pricing if you've got no, I, o2 I or t-mobile or, or orange or vodafone they can they can average those prices out and it's the percentile most of the people we use that much the bandwidth and therefore they're well below the actual bandwidth costs the few people that do they either kick off or they charge a lot of money for i'm just i, I, I agree and I, I think my my what i think is going to be interesting is you know where are we going to be in five ten years time you know if we are applying 4g technology to say an emerging nation where they haven't got the uh, the fixed line infrastructure then it may well be that uh, the 4G technology becomes a more economic proposition to actually spread mobile internet to uh, around some of those emerging nations. And if we're back to the, the, the question that we've, we've got that, uh, that's brought us here today, I think the answer to that is you know, quite possibly going to be different depending on whether you're talking about uh, an emerging nation or an established nation with an, uh, you know, an existing fixed, uh, fixed infrastructure. Can so, I just quickly say something as well? Uh, Ilya, you were saying that um, you were hoping the network was going to do something sort of bold. But I think they've done something, you know, let's focus on what they have done. Um, and the networks are not known for agility ever. Um, but they've kind of done something here uh, ahead of the others, which I think is actually quite an impressive thing to do through lobbying or through uh, getting off common side and so on. And I think that should be like, applauded as well. Uh, completely agree. It's, it's, it's yeah. and, and actually, um, the pricing, um, you're always going to have some people complaining, but that to every X amount that be complaining, there are many more that are saying this is great and it's working and we're happy with it. Uh, and it's important not to just blame operators for, for pricing. I'm quite comfortable with blaming operators. I, I, I know you are, which is why I'm saying this. If you look at, if you look at 3G, for example, uh, the licence fees that got charged for the spectrum there were astronomical. 35 billion. Uh, and resulted in underinvestment in the 3G network. Hopefully it's going to be different with 4G, but there are more than one element going into the pricing here. What I will say uh, in terms of too, the pricing that's too high, I do feel that um, it's not the most efficient model that we have at the moment for mobile operators. The amount of money that gets spent, for example, on retaining customers versus customer support, I, I don't think it's very well balanced. And um, clearly it is going to reduce once the sunk costs disappear, 
that mobile is still going through its different generations. So I think people are going to have to put up with the fact that it is going to cost more for the foreseeable future. Illy, as 4G arrives in the UK, and it's prevalent around the rest of the world, we're getting to the point now where the only difference between 4G and fixed-line internet, perhaps we will abandon desktop internet for the moment, but fixed-line internet is purely where you can use it. Speed, performance, all the other characteristics are, are, are converging. Do you think people ultimately will pay a significant premium just for the benefit of mobility when all the other factors level out? Um, actually, I, I think I currently pay about the same for my mobile internet as I do for my home fixed-line internet. And yet my home fixed line internet is a 50 meg line. But it buffers, remember? One second, one second. You spoil yeah, my joke. Just <laughs> the, 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 but my, my home internet is a 50 meg line, which should give me much, much better performance. 4G aside. The fact that you even have a 500 megabyte monthly 4G plan really does not, just shows they have no concept of what people are actually going to be using it for. Just, I, I read an interesting piece of research, and I, and I haven't done it myself, so... Forgive me if the numbers are wrong, but an analyst looked at the average speed that EE are advertising, and this is not a this is not a challenge directly to EE because this goes to all the three and a half G networks as well, and said that at a speed of around ten megabits, you can use that five hundred megabytes a month allowance in something approaching ten minutes. Yeah, and so you, if you're watching an HD video, that's going to just eat it up really quickly. I just well, don't, don't do that then. Well then, that's, well then that's then what, why then why bother getting a spark, fast internet connection? Okay, I want some real. I want some faster. A fast internet connection doesn't help on tweeting. Really. I want some. I want some real opinions. So, who in the audience is willing to pay uh, more for mobile internet than fixed line internet broadband at home? Okay, let's um, let, let's let's grab one of those guys. Um, let's just let's find out how much somebody who hasn't spoken. So how much more would I pay? So, so would you pay 25% more for your mobile internet than your fixed line internet? You're presupposing I know how much I pay at the moment. Okay, well, that's, that's, <laughs> an, interesting, that's an interesting question then. How much a month could you be paying for your, mo for your internet services before it just doesn't, it doesn't even rate a, a, on a blip on the radar? You just don't know, just don't care. Um, I'm guessing if I'd stop and think about it, I'm probably paying about £25 to have internet at home a month, and I'll get through £30, £40 on my mobile at the moment okay. across various SIMs. Okay, let's, 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 look for some, let's look for some real uh, high-end users. Who spends £50 a month on mobile internet or, or mobile subscriptions? One, I can't believe there's only one. Yeah, okay. So, I do. And, and, and why, what, do you, what do you buy and why have you chosen to buy it? Um, well, at the moment I've got an iPhone and an iPad and they both run in on 3G um, mobile internet. So um, that, those are both on a two-year contracts, um, paying I think it's about 25 quid a month for both contracts. Okay, and so the, the reason you're paying the most, it, you're, you're paying that much, is because actually you're buying the same service several times over for different devices? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So we've only got, we've only got one other person, we've only got one person who, who spends 50 quid a month. Who, who, who spends the least per month on, on mobile connectivity then? So uh, we've got a couple of candidates. If it, is it, who spends £10 or less a month? 
Okay, so uh, gen gentleman at the front here. I've got, I've got to deal with Vodafone where I think I get 300 megs, but I only use it for emails and maps, and that has never run out. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a month, and, and then, then that's, that does me. And so we're just limiting what we do? Yeah. Why? why? That, I mean, I've, I've got an Android phone. I don't, know. I, I, don't, I don't particularly watch videos on it. I mean, I have no huge desire to watch a vid, anything on YouTube when I'm getting the bus or something. Okay. Uh, so I don't think there's, there's any huge desire for me at the moment that, that may be um, constrained by the device. So we gave you unlimited. Um, mm. Unlimited use more. That's I, like I, I, I mean, mm. dial up to broadband. I, I, I don't know. I, I would say probably not. To be honest, I don't. I don't, I don't really, at, at, at the stage I'm at at the moment, where I'm not using a tremendous amount for work, I'd probably say no. Okay, let's go back to the. Let's go back to a different device. Thank you. Sorry to cut you off. Let's go back to the original question and, and, and move on. I mean, I actually have a BlackBerry Unlimited service, which only cost me 25 quid a month, and I can do everything on there, except last week I synced um, Spotify um, on Wi-Fi and then failed to uh, turn it off when I went out. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> because I'd set it up wrongly on the, uh, on the settings on the BlackBerry, I got a 300 quid bill oh, for gosh. one evening. <laughs> You'd never do that, you and would you? Go on, we got one more, one more question, one more point to the back. So that's the thing. Like this question started off with a, a sort of about the the network, but it went to the real question, which is the data. Like for me, when my contract was expiring, I looked at EE and I thought, all right, four G network, it's all good. Then I saw like the data plans were offering, and I was like, you're saying that your service is gonna replace desktop internet. But you're not doing it because in the end I look at it and I think, well, how can I replace my desktop internet when I'm limited to like three gig a month? I can't like toss away my desktop connection and say, yeah, let me jump in EE, go everywhere, and then like be limited to that. So I think until they sort out the, the actual data limits, that's when you'll see a tipping point for people saying, I don't care if I pay, look, if I paid 60 pounds a month for EE and I don't pay for my desktop internet, we're live. But until then, it's not an option.